listening to Dear Reader, a book talk show featuring chatty librarians bringing you reading recommendations and a whole lot of book loving. I'm Justine Hanna, here with my fellow librarian and bibliophile Natalie Mason, and we're coming to you from Melbourne Library Service. Hi, Justine. Hi, Natalie. How are you today? Very well. How are you? Very, very well, thank you. Guess what we're going to talk about today? Oh, do tell. Today, we're talking about book adaptations to the screen, big screens and small screens. Mm. Sometimes there's nothing more exciting than the idea of a book that you loved reading becoming a film or a TV series, and then you're ultimately disappointed because the book is always better. Isn't that right, Justine? I would have to disagree with you, Natalie. I <sighs> don't believe the book is always better, and I don't know that it's... an that exciting sometimes it's more terrifying when a book you absolutely adore is going to be ruined by being on the screen in some way <laughs> yes because the books are always better well, right in, in that in that instance the book was probably always better <laughs> <laughs> you got me there natalie told you <laughs> um before we get started though we do want to remind our listeners that we'd love to hear what you've been reading or watching for that matter so do please tweet us at melblibrary at m-e-l-b-l-i-b-r-a-r-y with the hashtag dear reader and you can download Download Dear Reader episodes at SoundCloud or iTunes by searching for Melbourne Library Service and subscribing. All the books that we mentioned today on our show will be listed in our show notes. We'll pop those on our Goodreads page and you can find that via our website at www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au on the Read page. Okay, Justine, what's your first book? And then what did you think of the film? Or screen version. Or screen version. <laughs> Mine are all films. Um, I have to admit, when I was preparing for this uh, particular episode, I realised that I haven't been watching a lot of current films. I'm been, I've been very housebound, let's just say. Um, so I, I'm doing a few older school things today. So my first uh, book adaptation is actually a play. It's Cat on a Hot Tin Roof by Tennessee Williams. Aww. And I have to confess, in fact, I think this is the same for all of my suggestions today, that I saw the movie before I read the play. Oh dear. <laughs> um, it is a Pulitzer Prize winning play and I loved the movie and really wanted to, to read the story itself as it was written. So I did. Um, for anyone out there who doesn't know the story of this particular drama, Brick is drunk and out to recapture his glory days of high school sports by leaping hurdles on a track field until he breaks his leg. He's been depressed for the last few years and has spent them drinking and resisting the affections of his wife Maggie, whilst his brother Gooper and his wife May have a whole pack of kids. The family comes together to celebrate Big Daddy's 65th birthday at their estate in Mississippi, where they learn that Big Daddy has inoperable cancer. But for some reason, they choose to keep that information from him. Big Daddy is fed up with Brick's behaviour and doesn't particularly seem to like his other son, Gooper, or his wife all that much. Maggie reveals what happened a few years ago, which turned Brick into an alcoholic, and Brick lets slip about Big Daddy's diagnosis. The family begins to crumble under pressure, and Big Mama and Maggie emerge as forces to be reckoned with. The story is brilliant. Um, I loved the movie. Elizabeth Taylor as Maggie and Paul Newman as Brick was simply stunning in those roles. Um, it's sensual, it's powerful and dramatic, and I love the Southern American setting and the family dramatics. What I didn't really get when I watched the film as compared to reading the play was the burden of repressed sexuality, which is expressed in the agony of Brick, much more so in the play as compared to the film, at least that's how I 
saw it. It's possibly due to the fact that um, Tennessee Williams did love tinkering with his plays and often had multiple versions around at any one time. Mm. And given that it was first published in 1954, it was really pushing some societal boundaries around sexuality and what was openly discussed at the time. But it does this through the most wonderfully realised characters. And for me, that's the best part of both the play and the film, the wonderful, flawed humans and their raw emotions, which are just simmering below the surface. I also loved reading the stage directions and the notes for the designer. It just made the vision clearer in my mind when I was reading the play and helped distinguish it a little bit from the movie. I can't really say which one I loved more, the play or the film. They're quite distinct to me, but I would actually really like to see it live on stage one day, and I adored the movie. Um, So, yeah, that's Cat on a Hot Tin Roof by Tennessee Williams. Have you ever read the play, Natalie? No, and I haven't seen the film either. Oh, my goodness, you must see the film at least. I know, you, you... like the book better. (laughs) Um, But reading a play is quite different, I suppose, uh, from reading a novel. But, um, yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. And it is significant... I say significantly different, but what I really mean, I guess, is that it's significantly different in its subtleties. Mm. So I think it's really good to do both, to watch the film and read the the written word (laughs) as well. What's your first pick for page to screen? Okay, I have to say, for this episode, I specifically chose books that had movies and read them that way. So these not are not necessarily things I would have read otherwise. Oh, that's not true of all of them. Certainly true of this first one. Shall I tell you what it is? Please do. I read The Girl on the Train by Paula Hawkins and, oh. the, and then I sat through the film. Mm. Do you know how much I love you and mm. this podcast? <laughs> Clearly more than I realised to do that. <laughs> I don't know what why, why, why? I, I'm sure many of our listeners really liked A Girl on the Train. I'm not one of them. <laughs> one of our listeners or, um, or, <laughs> or someone who liked that book? Good question. Look, the book itself is utterly readable. It's so readable. It's a page turner. It's set up in chapters. Every chapter has a different narrator. The chapters are set up as morning and afternoon. So it's a bit of a what I'm currently doing and then a reflection back on my day at the end of it. So you've got different perspectives, even though you're in one character's head. There are three characters uh, that, that act as narrators through the book. It's set in London. You know, the story unravels slowly. There's one revelation at a time and you're wondering, can I trust this narrator or do I trust the other narrator more? And a lot of the book takes place inside the heads of these people. So there's a lot of internal uh, stewing about things and there's not a great deal of dialogue in it. It's totally immersive. It's a bit of a thriller and it's just, it really is very readable. For a book that is fundamentally about abuse and trauma, It's a really readable page-turner thriller. I got from the first page to the last page really without any major dramas. Pretty easy. The film, however, in a word, is unwatchable. (laughs) Oh, my golly. It's set in New York, so let's take it all the way out of London and put it in America somewhere. It's New York State, though, right? So it's these beautiful, huge backyards. There's no fences between any properties. The bottom of the property is... um, is the train line, this is the train line where you can perv on new neighbours. And on the other side of the train line is this giant lake. So it's this really sort of picturesque place, but just put some fences up, right, and just <laughs> protect your own privacy. Hanging out on the balcony facing the train line in your knickers. Good grief. <laughs> the film is so silly, my goodness. It gives away the plot almost immediately. So the book, you're unravelling it one character at a time, trying to figure out who you trust, 
They're reflecting on things that have happened and trying to w- figure out whether they can trust themselves. The movie's like, hey, dummy, this is what's going on. Gives you everything. It tries to include those internal voices that you get in the book and puts them in as voiceovers or voicemail messages or, you know, monologues at AA meetings or something. Lame. <laughs> so lame. Epic fail. The author, Paula Hawkins, decided that she doesn't write screenplays. She writes novels. So she declined, well, this is her version of events, but I believe her, she declined to be part of the writing team for the film. So she left it up to the people who are screenplay experts. However, she was filmed um, in a particular scene and she was going to have a cameo. Now, that cameo was cut in editing and I bet she is thanking her lucky stars. She has nothing to do with this absolute dud of a film. The director, (laughs) Tate Taylor, made the film The Help which is also based on a book. Mm -hmm. So I thought, can't be half bad. Turns out all bad. Um, It really looks like a telly movie, not a film, Mm. to be perfectly honest. Emily Blunt does the best she can do. She's the best alcoholic I've ever seen on television. Um, And Alison Janney, who's one of my favourite actors, could not save it at all. She plays a hard-nosed cop, as you can picture. Um, But, yes, (laughs) unwatchable. Mm. Whereas the book was really readable to me. Not something I would have chosen to read or watch otherwise. I did it for Dear Reader. No regrets, except a few hours <laughs> that I won't get back. I'm impressed but that you you enjoyed the book because, yeah, it's definitely not your normal style. Uh, nothing so, like it. Yeah. There was, yeah, there was not a great deal um, of my favourite <laughs> epic book drama or, or like quaint little family mm. suburban minutia. But this was like... Yeah, essentially an alcoholic blacks out all the time, doesn't remember, has she done something bad, question mark. Mm. And um, there you have it. She may not have, but the uh, director certainly did, clearly. (laughs) Mr. Taylor, we have some talking to do. (laughs) It has a terrible review score on Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb. I don't feel like I'm the only person in the world who didn't (laughs) like the film, but um, I might be one of a small handful of people that like the book. But it's, I mean, it's the same with... um, Well, I mean, I don't mean to be disparaging, but big blockbuster books come out Mm. and there's an expectation that they're going to be fluffy or rubbish because they're popular and they have a lot of um, kind of push from a publisher or a lot of popularity or a lot of publicity surrounding them. That doesn't mean they're a bad book. No, not at all. I don't think this was a bad book. To be honest, I'd be really interested in your take on Big Little Lies. I hated it. You hated the book? Yes. Have you watched the TV series? No. It's actually really good. (laughs) I'm, I'm actually, I agree with you. I did not like the book and yet I uh, I am thoroughly enjoying the TV series. I haven't watched it all yet. But uh, yeah, well, anyway. <laughs> I listened to the audiobook, mm. um, which I don't think changed. I, I don't think if I had read the physical book, it would have made a, no. a great deal of difference for me. Um, I just think that author is not for me. I won't read any more Paula Hawkins, mm. even though I read Girl on the Train and like could stand it. Um, I probably won't read anymore. Well, um, that's probably enough. Yeah. Do you think? I think. How big is this hole that I've done? <laughs> Tell me about something you really liked. Okay. Um, so another throwback film and book for me uh, is A Walk to Remember by Nicholas Sparks. I probably ought to preface this with the Aww. fact that, oh, see, I can't stand Nicholas Sparks movies and books. I didn't realise it was Nicholas Sparks because, again, I saw the movie before I read the book. <laughs> I would never have read the book otherwise. I just, ugh, romantic drivel normally. Apologies to any lovers of Nicholas Sparks out there. That said, I really, really, really loved the movie, A Walk Aww. to Remember. Um, I watched it 
it was such a long time ago on it was a TV movie and it must have been a Sunday in a winter time or autumn or something I had this wonderful memory of being rugged up and just turning it on and it was on and I watched it and I liked it so <laughs> the story is Landon Carter narrates the flashback story of his senior year in the late 1950s at Beaufort High in Beaufort, North Carolina, when he first discovers the power of love. Landon is a bit of a bad boy, whilst Jamie Sullivan, daughter of the local minister, is seen to be a bit of a goody-two-shoes. Landon generally avoids Jamie until, desperate for a date to the dance, he asks her, certain, that she'll be available. She accepts, and that night Jamie helps Landon out of an embarrassing bind, revealing a strong character that intrigues him, despite her relentless and isolating Christianity. After Jamie asks Landon to star in the school's Christmas play, a town tradition which her father instituted, he develops a gradual and reluctant relationship with her. They rehearse, they walk home, they talk. When opening night arrives and Landon sees Jamie in an angelic costume, he realises that he's fallen in love. Bewildered and ecstatic, they nurture their feelings until Jamie reveals the secret that forces Landon to realise what he holds most dear, despite what fate has handed them. This is a story about life, change, inner journeys and growth, and it still makes me cry when I think too much about it. The movie is quite different in many ways. It uh, it gets you to a certain point in the story a lot faster than the book does and then goes on from there. But it's still the same story, and I don't want to spoil either the book or the or the movie. Um, suffice to say that it could be seen as a precursor to John Green's *The Fault in Our Stars*. It's a beautiful story. It's not overly sweet, although it is Nicholas Sparks. So yeah, it's a little sickly in some parts, but it's really very, very engaging. And I love Jamie's character and how we discover that there is much more to her than meets the eye. It takes a strong sense of self to hold true to your beliefs in the face of teenagehood and other teenagers. Mm. Uh, and this movie is really a lot about about that about that high school environment I still think about this movie which is why I chose to talk about it today um, it was really very very good and I did enjoy the book when I, I read it even even against my inclinations <laughs> so that's a walk to remember by Nicholas Sparks <laughs> is it YA uh, I don't think the book is YA. Uh, it certainly is a crossover read, though. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's narrated um, by Landon as an older man reflecting, but then obviously it's about him as a teenager. So, yeah, yeah. 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 It's really quite lovely. Isn't the notebook a reflection from an older person back on a Apparently, but I've never read it. <laughs> I've seen the movie. I refuse. Yeah, if the movie's not good... The book's likely to be better. Yeah. Well, in this case, again, because they are they're, they're quite different, even though they do tell the same story, they do it in different ways. So for me, they're, they're equally good. That's just me, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. All right, Natalie, you next. Oh, okay. So I read Room by Emma Donoghue. Love that book. Isn't it? It's one of, it's a real, it's a book without flaws. There are very few flaws in that book. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. Written in 2010, Emma Donoghue is an Irish writer who lives in Canada. That's a good thing. Mm -hmm. I like that about her a lot. Um, (laughs) It was made into a film in 2015. So the book itself is utterly bleak. My goodness. Um, It's told through the eyes of a five-year-old boy. And it kind of reads like an adventure story. Uh, This five-year-old boy is trapped in a room with his mum and doesn't quite know much about the world outside the room because he was born in the room. So they're obviously in captivity. Someone else is in charge of their lack of freedom. Um, And from the perspective of that boy, that room is the whole world. So it's 
it's, it's quite an amazing place to be as a reader. Um, I found myself really gripped by the story and I felt like I was enclosed while reading it, which is a weird thing to feel like when you're on the tram and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> swanning about on your couch with your legs, in, you know, up on the cushions, <laughs> you know, reclining on mm-hmm. the couch. That's where I was going with that. And, <laughs> you know, to be reading about being so confined. Mm. Um, I was sometimes on the brink of a real heart-stopping moment. I found myself reluctantly turning pages just in case something bad happened because I really didn't want anything bad to happen. Um, So many really big events happen early in the book and I read those events and and I'm looking at the top of the novel thinking I'm not even halfway through. Like where is this going? If this goes epically bad now, like what on earth could happen next? And I think that's one of the things I loved most about the book because I was gripped that whole time and I was on edge that whole time. It's just an amazing thing to bring a reader to that point mm. and leave you there and leave you believing that you're still there. Never, yeah. Anyway, it was a real, it was quite an incredible read. And so I decided that I wanted to watch the film and I asked my husband if he wanted to watch it with me and he said yes. And he doesn't like to know anything about films before we watch them. He barely wants to know who's in them, doesn't want to know if it's going to be a happy film or a sad film. Just, like, fine, yes, let's watch this film. So he knows nothing. Um, So he had no idea what he was in for. I knew very, very clearly that this was not a stop at halfway and go get some ice cream and come back to the couch kind of film. This was like, where are the tissues kind of film. Um, And so I asked him to review the film because I knew what was coming and the film did it so well. It was completely remarkable. But here you go. Here's a quote for you. I felt uneasy throughout the whole film. (laughs) was what he said. And then he, and then I said, can you explain that? And he said, it was dark, so good and so dark, and it was heavy. <laughs> like, could, this okay. be, could this be one of the very, very, very few films that potentially either equals, maybe if not better, but maybe equals the, the book in your eyes? The experience of reading that book and mm-hmm. leaving me so on edge and so concerned about the safety of the people in the characters in the book, the film put, took me to the same spot. Wonderful. The only the only thing is I knew what was coming. Yeah. <laughs> so I couldn't sustain that level of anxiety throughout the whole film because I knew mm. um, w- what to expect and when to expect it. But watching my uh, fellow film watcher <laughs> um, experience that, was there was a te- teensy bit of satisfaction in watching the tension increase and decrease as he experienced the story for the first time. Mm. Yeah, that was a good one. I've done that before, by the way, mm-hmm. put on films that he has no idea what to expect, but I've read the book and I know what's coming. And then I sit there and I say, that's not how it happened in the book. <laughs> that's not his sister. That, that's a whole different character. Where's the... And then someone will walk onto the screen and I'll say, oh, that's Angela. And he's like, who's Angela? I'm like, oh, you don't know Angela yet. It's okay. <laughs> you sound like gonna... the worst. <laughs> Remind me never to watch a movie with you that it's, I haven't seen already. It's only if I've read the book and I, mm. I feel like I know what's coming. I'm not that bad. I certainly don't talk in the cinema. My oh, goodness. That, I, let's not go there because have... we could talk a whole podcast about that. <laughs> ultimate respect for my fellow, fellow cinema goers. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I feel, I do feel sometimes, oh, you know what, that's coming up in my next review. I'll oh, talk okay. about, I'll talk about my, my, uh, 
my director's commentary, although mm. I'm not the director. <laughs> my watch's commentary. I um, agree with you. I loved the the book Room and I loved the movie and I, mm. I just thought it was so, so, so well done. Um, but that book, it was it was one of those books where I'm like, oh, God, they could easily screw this up. Like mm-hmm. what if they do it and they don't make it? That's right. What it deserves. Cause That's that, right. Yeah. And I felt the same with Alice Siebold's um, The Lovely Bones. Yes. And that movie really unsettled me as well and did, like, oh, yeah. Exactly the same sort of emotions. The book and the film are as creepy as yes. each other. They give you, yeah. and that's the thing that I think the films often lack is the imbuing you as a watcher with a, a, a sense of dread or a sense mm. of elation in a way that a book, for me, does much more easily. Mm. I will read a book and have a feeling, strong one, big one. And a film, sometimes I'll just sit there and really do think about, okay, when's the break for ice cream? Like when is <laughs> when can I insert my own commercial break? <laughs> and I walk to the ice cream narrating uh, what flavours are there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I do know. You, we should watch films together. Or not. <laughs> Depends how much you like ice cream. Well, I do like ice cream. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, is your next book to film adaptation about ice cream? Unfortunately not. Oh, well, I have no segue for you. Proceed. <laughs> Uh, this uh, movie I saw at the Melbourne International Film Festival a few years ago and I absolutely loved that it. That sounds fancy. No, it's not, though, it, although it did uh, win a prize at Sundance. Um, it's Me and Earl and the Dying Girl by Jesse Andrews and uh, it's absolutely a brilliant film. I did not expect to laugh as much as I did. In fact, I didn't really know what to expect from uh, a movie with that title. I purposely mm. went in not knowing too much about it. Um, the character Characters are just oh, wonderful. The story, whilst whimsical in some ways, is also really g- grounded in humanity. So our main character, Greg Gaines, thinks he's figured out how to get through high school. Remain at the periphery of everything at all times. Do not get invested in any one social group. Keep a low profile. The only thing Greg really enjoys is making mediocre films with his kind of friend who he calls co-worker, Earl. This plan is working, or seems to be until Greg's mum forces him to become friends with a girl who has cancer, Rachel. This is what brings about the destruction of Greg's entire life. Greg is self-deprecating and extremely cynical and utterly hilarious. His narration, along with Earl's epic lines of wisdom, made for a laugh-out-loud book and a laugh-out-loud movie. It is not melodramatic, although it could very well have been. It's also not cringeworthy, but again, its subject matter could have led it down that path. Instead, it is teenagers being teenagers and just trying to get through high school. There is no straining to give the reader a life lesson. It's just telling a story. It just so happens that that story is about life and death. The film came out in 2015 and it uh, is it just was so good. I immediately had to go as a librarian, find the book, read the book, <laughs> um, and I loved the book so much as well. The actors in the film were absolutely perfect for the roles of Greg Earl and Rachel and the supporting cast was great as well. Um, it really showcases the vulnerability of friendships, caring for others with the uncertainty of being a young adult and the bittersweet inevitability of life and death. Uh, the movie does also get to show us the terrible parody films created by Greg and Earl, which is absolute gold, um, and it still stays quite true to the book. No Hollywood endings here. I absolutely loved it. I can't recommend either book or film enough. Uh, if you haven't read or seen, go do that. Go do the thing. That's Me and Earl and the Dying Girl by Jesse Andrews. That film has crossed my path, but I know it's a book, so you know me. I've got to, <laughs> I've got to find time to read the book first. I think it's interesting because the book is superb. You should totally read the book, but because the 
part of the book is about them making these parody films. Mm. And in the movie, you get to see the parody films. And it's realised so well, that sort of element to me makes the movie absolutely well worth watching. I think you'd really enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. And I just didn't expect to laugh so much. It's really, really funny. It's un- it's an unlikely comedy given its title. Yeah. Hmm. And its subject matter. But yes, anyway. So that yeah, me and Al and the Dying Girl. Go see it. <laughs> Maybe we'll watch that one together. Okay. And then you know what's coming, so you can be like, look, that's Earl. And I'll be like, yeah. Yay! You'll Earl. know you'll know Earl. <laughs> <laughs> All right then, Natalie. Give me another page to screen, please. Well, Justine, I've got two. You can Uh-oh. choose which one I talk about. So I, I do my homework for this podcast. I go and read things I know you do. that I wouldn't normally read. In this instance, I read two things. that I, It's not that I wouldn't normally read them. It's just they wouldn't have made it to the top of the pile so quickly. So what I did was I read Olive Kitteridge by Elizabeth Strout and then I watched the TV series with Frances McDormand. And I've done that in the last four days. It's fresh in my mind. I have lots of ideas and lots to talk about. The other thing that I did was I started listening to the Phryne Fisher series, book series. So I've been listening to them on audiobooks on, um, on my commute. And those books are by Kerry Greenwood. And I watched one, only one episode, the first episode of the Phryne Fisher TV series for ABC. So... I could talk about either or both. <laughs> well, let's put it this way. I know how much you love Elizabeth Strout. Elizabeth Strout. So Just read the tattoo over <laughs> my heart. Can you see it? <laughs> Practically. Um, so I'm more than happy for you to, to, to just let loose with, with what you thought. I will put a little writer in here and say I adore the Franny Fisher series by Kerry Greenwood. I did not like the television series as much. That said, they weren't terrible. They just weren't the books. They really strayed, and I dislike that immensely because there was no need for them to stray. But we cannot talk about that if you'd rather talk about Olive Gitteridge. <laughs> I want to talk about both. Ah, we'll go on then. <laughs> really quickly, though, <laughs> just on the Friday Fisher series, the audiobooks are an utter delight. Mm. It's Melbourne. It's the 1920s. There's fashion. There's hair. There's, there's jazz. There's jazz. There's drama, there's intrigue, there's Phryne Fisher as a character is I this know. incredible woman with amazing intuition and abilities and she makes it seem so so simple when she solves murders by saying, well, it was really very obvious because if you just had a look at the trajectory of the bullet and then... <laughs> her confidence is the thing, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is, mm. yes. And her appeal and her sass and her, her, her ability to walk into a room and just command attention. So I read, uh, so I listened to the first book and then I watched the first TV episode. And that episode was the first book made into TV. And it was just backwards. Mm. The story wasn't as good. It was a bit backwards. There was stuff missing that I thought was important. Some of the characters had been merged. Mm -hmm. The costumes were beautiful. Oh my God, it looks amazing. Mm. It looks amazing. And that's why I'll I'll go back. Mm. But, um, and then I read, I listened to the second book and I went to the TV show to watch the second episode and it has a different title to the book. And I said, hang on just one moment, please. And then I scrolled through the list of book titles. It's book four. Mm. Episode two is book four. (laughs) Episode three is book three. And I just was very disappointed because I like a bit of order and structure in my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how on earth do you make book four into episode 
too. How do they feed into it? I'm just baffled. Yeah. So I've given up on the TV show. I will continue listening to the books and maybe when I finish all of the books I'll watch a TV show and be yeah. a little more carefree about it. But I I think that's the best way. But yeah. I loved my project. How good was my project? Listen and then watch and mm-hmm. listen and watch. It was going to be the perfect plan <laughs> and now it's been destroyed and I don't know who destroyed it. I feel a little sad. I feel very sad as well. Um, I... I Unlike you, I'd already read all the books, so mm. then I, I I watched all the TV shows, and I was like, part of me is like, yeah, they're okay, mm. and yeah, but they're not the they're not as good as the books, and it's it's yeah. they could have been. This is the thing that annoys mm. me. They really could have been. The material they had to work with was so strong. The books are the story is there. The characters are there. Exactly. The dialogue, everything is yeah. in the book. And then they just went and they added stuff they didn't need to add. They took stuff away that they should have left. They, like you said, they merged some characters. They they, fact, they added characters. Yeah. What for? They did this weird thing with the the subplot about her sister, and then it's like what? So, yes. Yeah. I'm I'm just not a fan. Does that continue the sister mm. subplot like through multiple episodes? Mm. Okay. I don't like it. I, I, yeah. It's not in the books. No. Does Carrie know? I mean, does Carrie Greenwood know? <laughs> I think she does. Yeah. Well, how does she feel about it? I really couldn't say. I'd like to ask her. Well, why don't you? I will. Okay. Next. Do you, do you Olive Kitteridge. <laughs> oh, the book Olive Kitteridge is incredible. Elizabeth Strout does this masterful thing again where she takes several characters all in the one small town, gives them one story each, and at the centre of their story, one way or another, they interact with this woman, Olive Kitteridge, who lives in the town, a uh, high school teacher, married to the loveliest man who runs the pharmacy, and really a cranky old lady. She really is prickly and difficult and says what's on her mind, which often is offensive to anyone within an earshot. Um, And the TV show is brilliant because it's Frances McDormand and it's awful because it top and tailed. It's a four-part series, four one-hour episodes. What's that, like a mini-series or a TV series? It's not a film. Um, And they top and tail this TV adaptation with a scene. Uh, that starts it and also sits at the end of it, and it's nowhere in the book. And I, I'm so horrified at what that's done. It's entirely restructured Olive and mm. who, who she is and everything she stands for and how she thinks and feels and believes. And while she's an ultimately unlikable person, I found myself by the end of the book um, having a great deal of sympathy for her and an understanding for the situation that she's in and and how she reacts in certain ways. And the television show didn't do that, but Frances McDormand is like a dead set legend. So (laughs) We already knew that, though. We did. This is the thing. But Mm. she plays this really unlikable woman in in such um, an incredible way. I find it so interesting that... um, is it is it just that it's not through our eyes anymore? Is it that it's through the lens of someone else and and their understanding of the book, and that's why we don't like it because it's not through our own eyes and our vision? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yes, I'm nodding furiously. Yeah, because yes. I know that you know if, if they'd consulted me about Lord of the Rings, it would have been a hell of a lot better. Clearly, hmm. <laughs> if they consulted me, it would have been a hell of a lot shorter. <laughs> that too, but yeah, I find it really interesting. Because I have that reaction with the Franny Fisher TV series and you've had had that with Olive Kitteridge. Yeah. Mm. Well, I've had it with Franny too. I've only watched Mm. one episode. I feel like if I was to watch an episode and then read the book, because the book is so much better and the the narrative, the mystery that she's solving 
in the Franny Fisher case, um, like the book is so clear about the backstory, the event, and then the solving of that. And there's lots of clues for us as the reader to try and figure it out before in the last five minutes of the mm. book. She just pieces it all together in front of the constabulary and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> embarrasses the head of chief of police yet again with her very simple theory of how this murder took place. But I feel like if I watch the TV show, I'd get a really simple version of that and I'd go back to the book and I'd... Would you go back to the book, though? If I watched the TV? Mm. Yeah, I think if you do that first. Well, this is what stunted my ability to continue with my fantastic project, <laughs> People in Charge at ABC. Why? Why did you ruin my project? Oh. It made so much sense. Mm. Read the book, watch the TV show. I read know. the book, watch the TV show. <laughs> I think we have to leave it there, though. We could probably keep on going. Let's turn the microphones off and keep talking about oh, Franny Fisher. That's like a plan. All right. That's what we do anyway. It is. <laughs> Any final thoughts about page to screen? They just shouldn't do it, in your opinion? No, keep doing it. I just want to keep disliking it. Oh, okay. That's fine. I like having the options as well. <laughs> that's true. Whilst, whilst I do like a lot. I did. I really like the film Room. Yeah. I really did. That's good. I really, really did. <laughs> Yay, one for the film. Well, All no, right. no, no, the book was still better, but I, <laughs> but I enjoyed the film. I really enjoyed okay. the film. Good to know. <laughs> well, folks, that's our show. You can read our show notes, including a list of the books we uh, reviewed, on our Goodreads page, which you can find on our website at www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au and on the Read page. Sorry for hijacking the show and reviewing <laughs> twice as many things as I should. We would also love you to tell us what you're still reading or ask us for your, for a reading recommendation or even what films not to watch. I'm Ooh. really good. I could do that for you. <laughs> Tweet us at Melb Library, that's M-E-L-B-L-I-B-R-A-R-Y with the hashtag Dear Reader or join the conversation on Goodreads. And don't forget you can subscribe and download previous and current Dear Reader episodes at iTunes or SoundCloud by searching for Melb and library service. And if you like what you're hearing on Dear Reader, we'd love you to leave us a review on iTunes. It helps others find out about us and gives us the nice warm glow. The amazing music on our program is by Ben Mason. Check out more of his music at www.benmason.com.au And until next time, Dear Reader, thanks for listening.